This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Regular listeners of this show will be familiar with the podcast series The Last Ride, which we've been airing in serial since the first episode released in early April. It uses extensive reporting done over two decades to tell the story of two young men of color who disappeared in Naples, both of whom were last seen with the same Collier County Sheriff's deputy, Stephen Calkins, who's now retired. Deputy Calkins was fired for giving inconsistent statements about the cases, but was never formally accused of any wrongdoing in their disappearances. The Last Ride was produced by USA Today Network Florida in partnership with us here at WGCU Public Media, and it's the first ever podcast distributed by the NPR network that was created entirely without editorial oversight. It has now been downloaded more than 1.2 million times by people all around the world. We aired the final installment yesterday, so today we're sitting down with three of the four-member team who reported on this story and worked together to produce it to talk about that process process and whether the last ride has brought forth any new information that might illuminate just what happened to Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. I sat down with them earlier today. Let's hear that conversation now. Janine Zeitlin is a journalist for USA Today Network Florida and is producer, writer, and reporter of The Last Ride. Janine, welcome back to the show. Thank you. And Amanda Enscore Whittemore is a photojournalist with the News Press and audio editor and co-producer of The Last Ride. Amanda, thanks for being here. Thank you. And joining us from Tampa is Melanie Payne. She's manager of enterprise and investigative content for ABC Action News WFTS in Tampa and is one of the reporters behind The Last Ride. Melanie, welcome back to the show to you as well. Thank you. Janine, I want to start with you. Um, We had you on the show shortly after the first episode released back in April. Um, You kind of reflected on what was to come. You know, now that all episodes are out in the world, what's it like? Hmm. (laughs) It's a big question. I mean, it was a... In terms of journalism, it was a massive undertaking for our team to complete the podcast. And I guess when you're putting that much effort and heart and energy into a project and to see it received positively in the world, you know, it's a very, it's a very tragic story, but people have been really receptive and wanting to change things because of it and what can we learn from this story so that part has been gratifying in a sense that it feels like the investment that we put into this project has made a difference um i got the latest numbers it's been downloaded more than 1.1 million times now um do you guys keep track of that and like where they're coming from is what i'm most interested in is whether it's a bunch of people from southwest florida or if it's just people all over the world When I've looked at the numbers, it looks like it's a pretty even breakdown of across the country. And there are numbers, you know, we have listeners across the globe, um, but it's a pretty even breakdown of where the population is. So this is definitely a local story that has national interest. What's the feedback been like? Have you gotten, you know, uh, messages from listeners, um, things like that? Yeah, I've gotten a lot of messages from listeners from across the country, and uh, people are infuriated by the story. People want to see justice for these families. And, you know, a lot of people I've heard from listeners who just have thanked us for bringing more attention to what went wrong in these cases. Uh, Melanie, I want to bring you in here now. Um, when did you first lend your reporting skills to this story? When did this first come across your uh, radar? Well, um, you know, I'm no longer working for the paper, but when I um, was interviewing and, and looking to move to Florida and looking for a job, 
uh, I was sent a group of papers from the news press at the time. And in that news press packet that they sent was a story written by Dennis Husty about this case. And I thought, gosh, when I get this job, I'm going to investigate this. That was 2004. And what happened to these two men just wore on me for years and years. And we were never really able to do anything until, I'm not sure, when did it start, Janine? When did we start? I believe yeah. it was 2019. Yeah. So for 15 years. And Janine will tell you, I, I kept a photo of, of them on my bulletin board in, in my little office because I, I just didn't want to let them out of my mind and felt that one day um, I wanted to, to look into what happened to these men. What's it been like for you, Melanie, to watch and hear all this come together as this final product that we've been broadcasting? I'm so totally grateful to Janine and Amanda for, for seeing this through. Um, that was one thing that I really wanted to say because um, they, they really fulfilled something for me in my life by doing that. And it's just been very difficult. It's, it's difficult because there's, there's no real resolution and I, I don't know if they'll ever be found and if we'll ever really know what happened to them. What kind of feedback have you heard from people who've heard the uh, podcast? that much because I'm out of it really you know I'm working now in in Tampa I'm not you know they I'm I'm not on the podcast um like email list or anything so I haven't really heard anything um friends have told me that they love it and that it makes them mad and um that they can't understand how this happened and why it has gone on so long and has not been resolved. Uh, Amanda, you're primarily a photojournalist. Yeah. In this, you're an audio editor and co-producer. Um, before we talk about that, um, when did this first come across your radar? Um, gosh, it was 2021 in the summer. Janine came to me and said, can, can you help me just pull some clips together for this episode that we want to do and or teach me how to edit it and I'm like oh sure it's no problem we, we'll knock that out real quick and hmm. then it turned into a year and a half had you done um, audio editing before or were you just able to apply video editing skills to audio it was mostly applying video editing skills to audio um, the news press does have a football podcast that I would edit like every other week Andrea and I would um, Melinda's would split the editing duties of that but that's really minimal editing so, yeah, this was a big jump. How much information did you guys have in digital format that you had to sift through to distill down the parts that you used in the final product? I would say hundreds, if not thousands of hours of interviews, um, polygraphs, uh, and depositions. Yeah, it was yeah, a we, lot. We have, we have a lot. I, I think my computer almost... Fried a couple times <laughs> because uh, we just have we have a lot of documents. We have a lot of photos and digital files, and 
uh, just a ton. That was one of the first things I did when uh, Melanie and Ryan Mills left the paper was just listen to all the audio that we had. And it took me weeks just to get a sense of what the story was and where it was going to go. Were you taking notes, time codes, things like that? Or did you guys then have to go back through and sit down and listen to it all together and start merging your brains? I did not take, I took some notes and not the time cones, but I just really want to like, because I wasn't a part of all the interviews, I wanted to absorb it. You know, I just wanted to absorb the voices and what were the moments, what were the key emotional moments and what were the things that I would remember about each file. So I'd take maybe like, okay, these are the highlights of this particular audio file. And I think the most compelling audio was definitely of Stephen Calkins um, because... You know, when you hear when you hear the inconsistencies in a story, it's much different than reading it in a transcript. And the way he says the things that he says, mm-hmm. you're like, oh. Well, that leads me to my next question I was going to ask is, is you guys come from a print background. You have done some video, Amanda. Um, you know, what has it been like for you to have that extra dimension of storytelling? Because it's one thing, like you said, you can have a quote in a newspaper then you, when you hear it, that's something different. But then what you have to you know, record has to sound good enough to play. So like in print, you can have a, a sound bite that's really scratchy and kind of you know, off and you can still use it. But in this, you might not. Can you just both of you guys just reflect on the challenges of adding audio to a long form story? To me, it wasn't a challenge as much as an opportunity because I feel I've like Melanie I've been thinking about writing about the story on and off since 2005 so this was just an opportunity to tell the story in a much richer way in a way that it needed to be told because that was having that extra dimension elevated the story in a way that I feel like we wouldn't have been capable of elevating it to in, in print. But there were, there were some circumstances where we would debate whether the audio clip that we wanted to use was the best. Well, it may have been the best one, but it would have, have been the best one to serve the listeners because it was super scratchy. And mm-hmm. sometimes we had to, Janine would have to go back and summarize what was said, or we just wouldn't, didn't use it at all because it was too much you know, feedback from the police recordings and stuff like that. So we, we left out a few things that we wanted to include just because they were unlistenable. I can definitely relate. Uh, you were going to say? Yeah, a lot of these audio recordings were from 2004. So the quality, the, the quality of the recordings weren't there. And um, yeah, if that, you've ever listened to a police scanner, it was about like that, some of it. And it was... You could hear the other people in the room talking about other things. So. Right. I uh, just want to give a quick nod to Richard Chinqui, by the way. He, yes. He, he, he directed and kind of helped guide you guys and make it sound sweet. So yeah. uh, shout out to Richard. Yeah, that's what we would do, honestly. We would send a clip to Richard and we'd like, is this is this possible to use? Um, can can you clean this up at all? And there were some times when it was like, no, well, listeners just going to say no, thank you. Um, but sometimes he was able to work his magic so we could use it. 
If you're just joining the show, we're talking with three of the reporters and producers behind the podcast series, The Last Ride. The eight-part series explores the disappearance of two young men of color in Naples back in 2003. Both were last seen with the same Collier County Sheriff's Deputy, Stephen Calkins. The entire series is available now wherever you find podcasts, and it's distributed by the NPR Network. I want to pivot now to any new information that may have been brought to light by this because it has been listened to by so many people. Uh, is there anything you can highlight, Janine, as far as... Um, ways that this case might go forward or ideas that you heard from people who weren't just listeners who were upset, things like that? A lot of it is off the record, so I can't. Um, but I, I, I am pursuing leads that people have brought to me um, from inside and outside the sheriff's office that um, are definitely things I want to look into. But nothing you can give us any information about. No, they were off the record, so right. I, I don't, I, I, I can't divulge Understood. what the source said. Uh, but then, fair to say that you're still working on this story. Yeah, you know, as things come to me, I, I will always listen to a tip, and I will always look into it. I'm definitely requesting more records from the sheriff's office related to these cases, and doing whatever I can. You know, I, I, we did, I did receive quite a few tips related to the podcast, but it has been so long since these cases happened that a lot of the areas, the locations where the men disappeared have changed. So whether or not those tips can lead to anything, to me, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic that things, you know, things can be found, but t other tips, other tips um, might lead to something. Hopefully. Um, you know, I at the end of or in the middle of toward the end of episode eight, um, I was shocked by the turn of events with with what happened with the civil case and the the attorney's office sort of missing a deadline, basically. Can you just, you know, summarize that for people who haven't heard um, how the civil case by the mother of Terrence Williams was basically dismissed for procedural reasons, right? Yeah, basically they the legal team for Terrence's mother missed a pretty, a really important deadline. And once they realized they missed that deadline, they they filed a bunch of motions and it went before the judge and the judge was just, was basically, you know, said, you have, this is, this is the legal process and you have, part of the legal process is meeting deadlines. And I did hear from lawyers after the podcast came out that were, that we're frustrated that that error was made. Um, the attorney, Ben Crump, who is his law firm is who made the error, um, he, he's quoted at the end of the series as saying that, you know, he'd like to see sort of a federal uh, civil rights kind of situation around this. Could you see that happening? You know, it seems like um, new evidence would have to come to light if, if nothing else. That is my understanding that basically they – the Department of Justice needs needs evidence, uh, and if in, to open any kind of new investigation. So, if they can find anything that would um, perhaps like a civil rights violation, they could reopen an investigation. But from my understanding, so far that still has not been found. He represented uh, Brianna Taylor's family. And um, I hosted Morning Edition this morning, and, and I had a soundbite from him because he's now representing the woman in Ocala who was shot by her neighbor. So he's this is kind of what he does. Yeah, he's a very notable civil rights attorney and has handled several cases. Um, and he was handling several cases when 
this case was heading towards trial. It seemed like they had a big caseload at the time. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But yes, he was representing a lot of families um, of victims of police violence. Do you stay in touch with uh, uh, Miss Williams? I I have checked in with her several times um, after the podcast came out. And uh, uh, I know she was very happy with how it turned out and just bringing Terrence's story to more people. And, but I also know it's really, I, I warned her when it, when it was coming out because I also imagined it could be traumatic for someone to, to relive that. So she was listening, you know, slowly, but she was listening to the episodes. That actually leads to what I was going to ask you is, um, you know, was this a heavy lift emotionally for you and for the, you know, you, Amanda and um, uh, Melanie? Because uh, it's a very serious situation. You know, two men disappeared. Nobody knows. There's all this evidence, or not really evidence, but, you know, at least circumstantial evidence. Um, and then some of the conversations you had. Um, I actually want to play a bit from the end of the episode for anybody who hasn't been listening. Um, this is a conversation that you had or an interaction with uh, Marcia Williams. I asked Marcia Williams, the most visible victim of this story, whether she still had hope. It's been so long. How do you continue to put one foot before the other and keep thinking about what next, what next? It's all by the grace of God. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know how to do it because I don't, because there are days that I just want to break down. But it's all by the grace of God because I know that God has my back. He's the God of justice, Janine. It is going to be a day that we all find out what happened to Terrence and Felipe. So you still have hope, Marcio? You never give up hope. No, you never give up hope. So what's this been like for you emotionally, and what's it like to hear that again? It makes me it makes me sad, but honestly, when I was starting this project, I thought often about Marcia because she, you know, she has to live this, right? And so I should at least be able to produce a podcast and about it. <laughs> so it is a heavy topic and it's not something that when I started it, it was I wasn't sure whether I wanted to dig back into everything and go into it in depth because I basically spent a couple of years really deep in this story and it's a sad story but you know Marcia it's in her it's in her daily life like if she can if she can live it I can do a story about it um are you still in touch with Tyler Perry he's not someone that you at my level really yeah, stay in yeah. touch so with you're not you're not trading text messages <laughs> no 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 but no. but he he sounds like he's probably still at least sort of keeping track of this story. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that he's really interested in seeing justice for these families and he stays in touch with Marcia Williams, but I, I have not heard from him since the podcast came out. Um, Amanda, the same question. You know, you weren't necessarily as in it as she was, but you listened to all that audio. You helped put it all together. What's it just felt like? It was tough to listen to and think about uh, as a mother, um, that's like the worst possible thing that you could imagine happening to your child. So I 
definitely empathized, tried to empathize with her a lot while I was going through it. Um, but when you're a little bit removed from it, it's not quite as hard because um, you have a list of things that you have to get done and you just have to do it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, sometimes it was it was tough listening to everything because you listen to it over and over and over and over again when you're editing. So. And not just the conversations with Marcia, but the, 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 the polygraphs and all that stuff and just trying to imagine your way back into that time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as we start to wrap up, I'd like to pass along an email I got last night from a listener. Mike, I have listened to The Last Ride twice and even felt the need to take notes while doing so. Could you please ask Janine what concerned Collier County residents can do about this apparent travesty of justice? She had mentioned in contacting the Department of Justice, but a little more specific guidance would be greatly appreciated uh, from John Smith in Naples. Is there anything you can offer as specific guidance or, or is that beyond the scope of what's possible? Hmm. Well, let's if you, think about this one, guys. <laughs> well, I was, one thing I was thinking about is if, if you know anyone who works at the sheriff's office who may have known Stephen Calkins, who may have information, encourage them to come forward, if not to us, to somebody, to the Department of Justice, to somebody in the sheriff's office, um, share what you know. It can't hurt. That, that'd be one thing. Yeah, definitely. That's good advice. Because I, I feel like the information has to come from somebody who knew him or worked with him, most likely. And I would think just, I mean, and I know the it's not as specific, but I think what can be learned from what happened in these cases, you know, if there's, if someone goes missing and is not getting the attention that they need is to make a big deal about it, try to get the attention of law enforcement and media um, and be a watchdog for your community. Well, we're unfortunately out of time. I want to thank you guys for being here and for doing this uh, podcast. Um, it's really something and it's an important story and I'm glad we were able to facilitate getting it out to you know more than a million people. Um, Janine Zeitlin is a journalist for USA Today Network Florida and she's one of the forces behind the last ride. Janine, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Amanda Inscore Whittemore is a photojournalist with the News Press and audio editor and co-producer of The Last Ride. Amanda, thanks to you. Thank you. And down the line is Melanie Payne. She's manager of enterprise and investigative content for ABC Action News WFTS in Tampa. Melanie, thanks to you as well. Well, thanks. Um, can I answer that last question? Yeah, Absolutely. I'm sorry I didn't give you a chance. <clears throat> okay. Someone knows something. And I think that the important thing is that people talk about this and they talk to people who lived in Collier County and that whoever does know that their conscience begins to bother them and they come forward. And that's what I think people need to stress to people that it's never too late to fess up. And I will say that that is something that Marcia Williams strongly believes as well, that someone knows something And she just really hopes and prays that that someone comes forward and brings the answers. All right. Well, thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Janine. Thank you, Amanda. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.
The fourth member of the reporting team behind the last ride is Ryan Mills. He was unable to join us today. As Janine says at the end of the episodes, if you're interested in taking a look at the public records about this case, the Collier County Sheriff's Office has them on their website. You can find direct links to them at naplesnews.com slash last ride. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida.